0: The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive. This Thursday, the 28th of December, we're winding up uh, 2023 rapidly. Kurt has the week off and uh, co-hosting with me. Today in the big chair is uh, Rob Roper. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Anthony. And um, we we have uh, had a great conversation about some uh, impacts uh, coming down the pike on affordable housing. And now you've got a great guest lined up. Talk to us about that.
1: We do. Uh, you know, this get away from politics a little bit and talk about one of my other passions, which is history, and and in this case, particularly World War II history. And a friend of mine, Skylar Bailey, is the author of a, a really Terrific book called In Good Company about the Tenth Mountain Division, which the Tenth Mountain Division has a lot of ties to Vermont. They were they were the ski troops mm-hmm. uh, in World War Two and, and um, mostly Italy. And Schuyler wrote uh, uh, a, a book about them that has gotten a lot of great play. And uh, I had him come visit my Rotary Club a couple of months ago, and it just he just gave a terrific talk. And I thought that the listeners here on the morning drive would really appreciate what he had to say. And I know it's a little late for Christmas, but if there's a belated Christmas. Gift that you needed to get this book, uh, you know, for for somebody who likes World War II history is a really great buy. How you doing, Skyler?
2: I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. I know. Uh, I know you're feeling a little bit under the weather. So, so thanks for rallying. Of course. So, tell us a little bit about the book and how you came to write it.
2: Sure. Uh, so, Heroes in Good Company
1: uh, follows the history
2: of one company of the 10th Mountain Division. Um, L Company of the 86th Regiment, through its formation uh, in spring of 1943, uh, its training in Camp Hale, Colorado, uh, and then in Camp Swift, Texas, and finally its deployment overseas to Italy. And once uh, once it goes overseas to Italy, it really follows them uh, in a in a day by day, uh, in depth um, narrative of their wartime experiences, uh, relying on a lot of primary sources. Wartime letters, uh, company morning reports, uh, unpublished memoirs, interviews, uh, and etc. To really, you know, dive deep into their experience of World War II, um, and and you know, I, I came to write it uh, kind of by accident. It started as a college paper. Um, one of my professors uh, assigned this this, you know. Paper And and, probably 10 pages would have done fine. Um, But when I went to him realizing I was writing a 25-page paper, I said, when are you going to stop reading? How how long do I go? He (laughs) said, write until you are done. Uh, So 10 years later, I had finished the book, (laughs) and I sent him an email saying, you know, Professor Thornton, I am done. (laughs)
0: That is a great uh i, I was going to ask what motivated you to write the book that is a that is a great story did you did you hear back from your professor yes yeah he was he was thrilled <laughs> now
1: what made you choose the topic uh in the in the first place so um
2: it it started almost as like a family project uh, my grandfather everett Bailey was the commander of l company uh eighty sixth and um the the paper was really just to find out you know what what he had done during World War II. He hadn't talked about it. And that was a common theme that I found with uh, a lot of the families that I reached out to who sent me a lot of great information. Um, But a lot of them sort of said, you know, dad never talked about the war. You know, uh, grandpa never talked about the war. We sort of knew he was in the 10th. Um, I think I assumed he had driven a truck or something like that because he just never talked about it uh, other than sort of to mention he had been in Italy. Um, And so this was it started as that, and as I started finding more and more sources from other men in the company, I discovered that they were far more interesting uh, in a lot of ways than than he was. And so, I wanted to tell their story as well.
1: So, who are some of the most interesting characters that uh, that emerged from your research?
2: There are a lot of interesting characters. So, Bob Creer, um, he was a sergeant in third platoon. He um, He kind of gave me a lot of inspiration and prodding. There was a period of time where I wasn't sure I really wanted to to tell the story. If they hadn't talked about it, it felt like maybe I was doing something wrong by telling a story they hadn't wanted to tell. Um, And you know, I corresponded with Bob Clear, and he said, "You got to do this. It's important." He wrote the foreword for the book. Well, Um, and he was a, a really interesting guy. He got into Arctic biological research after the war and kind of lived by himself with the wolves in the tundra. Um, you know, there was uh, Bill Morrison uh, who sent me a lot of um, stuff that he had written in 1946 and 1947 to process what had happened. Um, and, and a lot of that source material made its way into the book. There's um, Norm Goldenberg who kind of has this really biting sarcastic wit. And, uh, you know, I always have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Edward Lucky Lushandro. Um, I was lucky enough to interview him. He was the last known surviving veteran of L Company. And, um, you know, in a, in a division of men who, you know, had all the college degrees and were sort of known for being kind of a gentleman's division, he um, had dropped out of high school and gotten a GED. And,
0: you know, he
2: and I just had a lot in common, and as we sort of talked, all the decades between us disappeared, and it just really felt like two guys talking. It was great.
0: It's interesting how <clears throat> when you think back. I was going to ask the the L Company how they how they formed it, um, and uh, you kind of answered my question because it's interesting how you take people from around the country and you put them together in adverse situations, and there's something about World War II veterans that never talked about it but i i like the fact that they they want to tell the story you you kind of got the green light as you de- as you kind of dug a little bit yeah. and and you you talk about you know i i just happened to notice cuz i pulled it up that you know robert creer the the first person you talked about as a phd oh yeah and then and then one of the one of the best conversations you had was with uh lucky who uh dropped out of high school but yet here they were together yeah, uh, skiing in Italy, uh, fighting the Nazis.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah, one of the things that I I found in in writing the book was there's a lot of mythology built up around the 10th Mountain Division. Um, some of it's really justified. A lot of it, you know, is we we sort of have this idealized view of them. Um, I was actually a little bit worried that I was going to get like hate mail uh, when the book came out from from people saying. I was like deflating their heroes or something because it really humanizes them. This, you know, this book talks about their fears and their limitations and, you know, their, their humanity, um, in, in a way that other 10th mountain stories haven't. Um, I think in that humanity, the heroism really comes out in, in starker relief. And, um, you know, one of, one of the bits of mythology is that everyone needed three letters of recommendation, um, in order to get into the 10th Mountain Division, by the time L Company is being formed, um, you know, that was certainly true for for the early units in the 87th uh, Mountain Infantry. By the time the 86th was being formed, people just had to express an interest, and off to Camp Hale they went. Yeah, and that's how Lucky Lishandro got there.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I was thinking that it's like at some point, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Yep. And uh, they say, hey, anybody a uh, good skier want to want to do this?
1: Well, that's actually one of the
0: interesting things
1: that came out of the book, is a lot of them weren't skiers.
0: Seriously.
2: Yeah, a lot of them got to Camp Hale, Colorado, unable to ski. (laughs) Uh, One of my uh, kind of favorite lines, it's, you know, kind of a sad letter. Ben Duke was writing to the mother of Stuart Abbott, who'd been killed during their first major engagement. Just sort of a, you know, I just wanted to let you know some things about your son um, as we serve together. He mentions... The only trouble I ever had with him was when I had to teach him how to ski, but he did learn. Um, You know, a lot of them got to Camp Hale not knowing how to ski. A lot of them joined after Camp Hale. When they went overseas to Italy, one-third of the um, men in L Company had never had any mountain training. They they arrived at Camp Swift, Texas, and all of their experience was in hot, flat climates with the 10th Mountain. And they went overseas without any mountain training at all. It actually served them well when they were ambushed in three feet deep snow. They had set off on a patrol with um, snowshoes and rapidly realized, you know, there's enough guys who don't know how to use snowshoes that we should just ditch these things and pick them up on the way back. So when they got ambushed, um, they just dropped down into the snow. If they'd been on their snowshoes, they would have been cut to pieces on top of the snow. So, you know, that that worked out for them in that case.
0: Oh, it's a great story. It is a great story. We're going to just, we need to take a quick two-minute break. We're, we're uh, talking with Skylar Bailey, uh, Heroes in Good Company, a local author who uh, uh, wrote an amazing book. Um, if you got questions for Skylar, you can uh, join the conversation, 888 Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620, WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive. Anthony along with you, and Rob Roper is here, sitting in for Kurt, and we're talking with Skylar Bailey, who has an amazing book, uh, Heroes in Good Company, L Company, uh, 10th Mountain Division, in World War II. Um, and uh, you were you were talking uh, before the break about the, the, the mix of people that wound up in uh, the 10th Mountain Division, and I... am I guess you know you have to step back into World War II. It really was uh, all hands on deck, and uh, to find out that a majority or a, a, a large number of people had no experience, even living in the mountains, <laughs> uh, but found themselves all in the in the hills of, in Italy.
2: Yeah, the the title of the book actually comes from a quote from the 10th Mountain Division commander. Uh, General Hayes, who said, if you're going to risk your life, you might as well do it in good company. And a lot of the men joined the 10th Mountain um, on purpose because they wanted to be, you know, first and foremost, surrounded by people they thought to be the best. The first sergeant of L Company, um, you know, he, he had trained as a paratrooper before joining the mountain troops. He believed that the 10th Mountain Division was the most elite unit the U.S. Army had at the time. And he was really eager to get um, overseas and kind of show the world what the mountain troops could do. Uh, he, you know, believed that they were far superior to the paratroopers and the Marines and the Rangers and all of that.
1: Now, if I, one of the things that I found interesting is that, you know, you had these elite troops who were, you know, so, supposedly anyway, uh, specifically trained to do certain things. And a lot of the generals didn't know what to do with them.
2: Yes. They spent a lot of time stateside training, um, Largely because the the Army didn't quite know what to make of a unit like the Tenth Mountain Division, they had mules for transport in an era when um, you know most people are striving for more mechanized forms of of transportation um, they came about as as skiers who were learning to be soldiers rather than soldiers who were learning to ski, though there was a lot of crossover both ways, and so they they had a a sense of their own value aside from the officers who led them. And so I think that kind of recalcitrance to army command um, also led to a, a bit of, you know, there were a little bit of scoff laws within the U.S. Army. Um, you know, there, there's one letter uh, home saying, you know, we know more than our officers do about mountain warfare, and they should just listen to us.
1: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) that always goes over well yeah Yeah. (laughs) now Skylar before we get uh, uh, towards the end of the segment here I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to buy the book if they're interested so tell them where to do that Uh, you
2: can go on Amazon Uh, it's Heroes in Good Company L Company 86th Regiment 10th Mountain Division 1943 to 1945 if you'd like a sneak peek of kind of some of the research that was involved in the book um i started a blog 8 years ago uh, well before the book came out um kind of showcasing you know bits and pieces of some of the research doing a deeper dive into some of the questions um because the book itself is a very kind of narrative style
1: now one of the questions i have for you is about doing research on world war II, cuz that my my I, three of my four grandparents were were officers and well two were officers one was a, a um sergeant uh during, during World War II, and it's hard to find research because there was a fire back in like the late 60s, early 70s, I think, in Washington, yeah, the, D.C., where a lot of World War II records were destroyed.
2: It was in St. Louis, Missouri, and the, the, the warehouse housing the archives caught on fire. Um, you know, luckily for me and a lot of other Tenth Mountain researchers, the Denver Public Library houses a separate archive of the Tenth Mountain Division. They were enormously uh, helpful to me. They sent Um, company morning reports, metal citations, uh, letters that families had submitted to them. They're always collecting uh, more information. They put me into contact with various people. They sent um, recorded interviews of of a lot of the servicemen who had already passed away um, by the time I started my research. And I literally could not have written this book without the Denver Public Library.
0: That's interesting. So... um now if you talk to other authors who kind of dig in like certain i don't know um divisions or, or 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 different companies like this is kind of the like like you said it's an untold story uh you know of the 10th mountain division uh, and then with I didn't realize until just now that a lot of the history of the archives had burned um, are there i, I hope your answer is going to be uh, there are public libraries and other places where there were copies of archives around or, or is a lot of the the history just kind of being lost from world war two?
2: A lot of the history was lost from world war two. You know, the the majority of the world war two records burned up in that fire. Um, You know, I think of like, like band of brothers, which is sort of um, a book that's kind of in a similar vein that was largely based on interviews that were done with veterans, um, you know, 40, 50 years after after the war. And so kind of one of the major differences for those who have read Band of Brothers with Heroes in Good Company is um, I think there's a certain rawness to letters from that time or to, you know, Bill Morrison's kind of short stories to process what happened to him in 1946 and 1947. They haven't had the decades to contextualize what happened to them and kind of Put it in a box that they can live with. From then on, they're really still grappling with it, and so it comes across um, as, a, as a much more deeply raw experience.
1: So I got to ask Skylar, um, what's the next project for you? You're working on another on another book, as I recall.
2: Yeah. So my my kind of my main passion uh, has always been colonial history of Vermont, and so um, looking into some of the you know revolutionary period uh, in the Vermont Republic um, is probably going to be where where my future lies.
0: Well, sounds great. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, I definitely I'm going to get a copy of it. Um, and it is, I, I pulled it up on Amazon and uh, uh, readily available. Uh, Skylar, I think it, it's just a phenomenal thing in the way that you've kind of wound up writing the book is a, a story in of itself.
1: Is it is it gonna take a is it gonna take a history teacher to give you an assignment for the next one, or have you got, got the got it teed up?
2: Uh a little bit teed up. Um I don't have any history teachers, but I may have to find one.
0: <laughs> well well we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us this morning and I uh, I urge everybody it's uh Skylar Bailey, Heroes in Good Company. Uh and I just googled Heroes in Good Company. It came right up and brought it right there to your book. Uh thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Skylar. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with Fox News, and uh then we'll be back with Mike Donahue. Uh.